Hey, welcome back to Knowing God with Heart and Mind, that regular visit to the virtual church classroom at Shiloh Church in Jasper. I'm Pastor Dan. Sitting next to me is my lovely daughter, Bethany. We are studying the book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce together, and this is uh, episode 11, and it is chapter 10 of the book. And uh, so hopefully you've been with us for a while now, and if not, I would recommend you go back to the first episode and then work your way forward. Um, this book is, is uh, a favorite of mine, and uh, we enjoy doing these studies with you. So we're in the middle of COVID-19, and it is Tuesday, May 5th and 2020 and we are recording a episode that will air in about two days so anyway all that being said i'm getting a little tired of my basement um the basement office uh craft room multi-purpose you know mom and dad room uh it's a place where i have my home office it has turned into a studio. It always had the equipment for making these audio programs that you are hearing, but now it's got online broadcasting equipment and everything else, and sometimes it just feels like a cell in here. So uh, just saying, if you are feeling the uh, oppression of, COVID-19 and all of its consequences, hey, we feel you. We understand. Uh, everybody's going through this, and it, it's it's frustrating, but it is all in God's hands. So let's begin our study knowing that there's more to this life than what we can see, and there is a whole eternity that starts when you become a Christian and never ends. And it will involve transitioning from this life to life with Christ in the fullest sense of the word. And uh, that's kind of what this book's about. This book is sort of presenting us with a variety of people who ought to be excited about being in heaven, but they're not. Mm -hmm. And today in this chapter, we're meeting a person who's... Um, life was, well, filled with good intentions, but ultimately it was all about her. And it's funny because you meet a lot of people like that in life. They do a lot of good things. Uh, I meet them in church life quite frequently. They want to give generously to the church, but they want to control how their money is used. They want to uh, help with something, but they don't want to be responsible for the outcome. And so there's lots and lots of people in our world who are eager to do good things, but at the bottom of the matter, at the heart of the thing, it's about them. Mm -hmm. It's about making them feel better about themselves. It's about, you know, their ego, their pride, you know, um, that's what this person we're going to meet is going to show us, I think. So Bethany, <clears throat> in this chapter, Lewis, who is our traveler and narrator of mm -hmm. the story, 
Here's the conversation between a female ghost who on earth was a very frustrated but devoted wife and she was devoted to the advancement of her husband's career and the shaping of his life and it uh she finally wants to know where he is and she wants him back mm -hmm. because all of her fulfillment comes from taking care of him yeah well making him into the person she wants him to be this ought to tell us by the way this book is so full of interesting characters that it tells you that c.s lewis was an observer jack liked to keep an eye on people i think and he yeah. he observed people watch and uh, I can relate to that. <laughs> so our quote from this chapter is, Give him back to me. Why should he have everything his own way? It's not good for him. It isn't right. It's not fair. I want Robert. What right have you to keep him from me? I hate you. How can I pay him uh, out if you won't let me have him? Pay him out would be like uh, uh, having him on a tether mm -hmm. and letting him out. Yeah. You know, uh, it's it's a little like trawling, like fishing as it, with a trawler. You know, you pay out the hook. <laughs> so, yeah. So how would you describe this particular ghost <laughs> and her husband, Robert? Okay. Well, this ghost always reminds me of um hyacinth from uh, keeping of appearances hyacinth bucket buckets bouquet it's bouquet <laughs> yeah like there's so much similarity <laughs> it is and and uh it's funny because uh i just had an instinct to say give me a thumbs up if you've seen <laughs> if you've keeping, keeping up, up appearances. appearances that ought to tell you how long i've been doing <laughs> online worship and study here yes. lately yep. so yeah yeah so she's just super self-centered like she's hypercritical of her husband and but she dresses it up like it's for his betterment and to make mm -hmm. you know um but yeah, she like completely controls him. She's very hypocritical. You know, she like she does everything perfectly. He does nothing right. Um and it's all about like it really is all about keeping up appearances. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like Yeah. Um so and then he seems to be a gentle person. Mm -hmm. Um but because he's a gentle person, he's kind of passive and has had to put up with and has been led around by her their whole marriage. Yep. So. Yeah, you wonder how people like that get together, but, I mean, obviously it happens. Um, yeah, the thing about Hyacinth, and, and I think the reason it's okay to go down this road a little bit, is... When you try to understand this person that we're meeting in the story, um, one of the things that you kind of wonder is, you know, what makes a person like that? Mm -hmm. You know, how, how do they end up becoming so obsessed with keeping up appearances? Mm -hmm. Well, 
hyacinth on keeping up appearances and this this would be one of those shows you could watch on public television maybe uh if you get brit box or acorn or one of those those uh, streaming channels that provides British, you know any more you can find it on youtube as oh, well yeah, it's probably and old enough that it's on youtube too so I- anyway on the show what you begin to realize is is that hyacinth comes from a very colorful family mm-hmm. um her father is is um you know uh, a strange character and her siblings are all very strange characters but but hyacinth is a ridiculously delusional mm-hmm. i mean she she is convinced that uh if she can present a relative of hers in a positive light then she goes all out and makes up quite the story yeah on the other hand, if she can't find anything positive about them, she just tries to keep them from interfering with her life in any way, shape, or form. Like her brother-in-law, Onslow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and uh, so she she is... Uh, she, she wants to appear very posh. Yes. And well-to-do, but they're not necessarily... Like, they're not... Not well-to-do. No. But... They're not fancy, like like her husband would just be really content to have a normal life. Yeah, he has a very um, ordinary job, and he's quite content with it. And... But she she wants to make everything appear better than it is within their house, so she she does certain things with the decorating, and when she's on the phone with people, she describes things in a certain way, and oh, yeah, yeah. Um, colors everything up so that she looks good, which I think is really similar to this ghost because everything, so basically everything about her, both Hyacinth and this ghost is wrapped up in what other people think of her. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So, so this ghost that we'll refer to as Hyacinth, <laughs> uh, says that she can forgive her husband, but she cannot forget. Mm-hmm. So, do you believe Christ, as Christians that we're called to both forgive and forget? I think that the danger in saying one... I think yes and no, because I think there's a danger in saying that you forgive someone, but you don't forget, because then you're still holding on to all the anger and resentment that goes with it. Or you might be. Yeah. Um. So, have you really forgiven then? If you're still attached to all of the pain. Um, I think that... That... There's a... I think that you can say forgive and forget if you're just... Like, if you're truly forgiving the person and trying to move on from the situation or whatever happened... But I see. I just I, f- I always find that phrase really tricky. Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, you know, and if you've lived it, and I think we all have, or at least we should at least find one circumstance in our life where we've actually forgiven someone. There should be at least one. <laughs> you know, um, I'd hate to think that someone is so filled with resentment that they never forgive any 
affront towards them that they encounter. Uh, people are going to offend you all the time, and sometimes it happens without malice. It happens because, you know, they cut you off uh, on the road because they didn't see you. They just didn't see you. It was an accident, you know. So, you know, hopefully we all have the capacity to forgive certain things, but there are deep-seated resentments that we have built on years of pain, for example, and if you can find a way to forgive that, and I feel fortunate because I have managed to forgive some things along those lines. And uh, I, I picked up a hum and I was trying mm -hmm. to figure out where it came. Was it the furnace that kicked on? Maybe it's the furnace. Okay, well. It is right there. Yeah. So anyway, sorry about that, friends. So we were, you know... We, we all have this, this need to forgive because of what it does to us, because it tears us up. But then you ask yourself, you know, if I forgive this person, then I'm not going to be vigilant to prevent the pain from happening to me again. That's a good point. So when you say forgive and forget, you're kind of putting yourself at risk of being wounded again. Mm -hmm. And many times we're forced to forgive people who don't desire forgiveness. Who don't think there's anything wrong with how they behave towards us and therefore they don't they wouldn't understand if you went to them and said hey I just want you to know I forgive you they just look at you like you're nuts and uh, that would only add to your pain so when you say you're gonna forgive someone and forget I think you what you're really trying to do is forget the resentment that's boiling inside you you know if, if you're gonna do something that is therapeutic and beneficial to your soul it is to forgive and to put behind you this ongoing resentment. On the other hand, um, it's wise to remember lessons learned in life. Um, you know, a child only has to touch a hot pan once before they've learned that they should never do that again. Wish they didn't experience the pain, but it would be silly for them to hold resentment towards the pan for burning them. Mm -hmm. Um, we don't really, you know, we chuckle at people, the, the idea that somebody would resent a pan for burning them. But, but go with this for a second and just understand there are people who are deathly afraid of certain things because they have been hurt mm -hmm. and they're so afraid of it that they will never. So there are people who don't like to cook because a pan burned them, mm -hmm. you know. There are people who don't spend any time in the kitchen because they're afraid of the stove. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so what I'm saying is, is that any time you have a, a unhealthy uh, attitude about a thing, you've got to work out how to get a healthy attitude about it. And that's where I think forgiving and forgetting is possible. Um, on the other hand, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, what I've learned is, is that every time I talk to my cousin Fred, uh, sooner or later he's going to say hurtful things to me that make me feel bad and so I'm just not going to talk to Cousin Fred any more than I have to and I'm going to decide that whenever Cousin Fred starts talking like that I'm going to excuse myself from the conversation and not experience this pain mm -hmm. that's not like holding a deep resentment towards them you know so that's kind of how I look at it yeah um and what's so freeing about forgiving is what it does for you, not because of what it does for them. I've always described forgiveness as basically believing in your heart that someone owes you something and you cancel the debt. Hmm. 
you say, I, I know you owe me this and I know that I'm due repayment, but I can see that you don't think you owe me anything and that you have no intention of repaying. And for my sake, I'm going to cancel the debt. Mm -hmm. That's forgiveness. Yeah. So let's look at scripture for a minute. Matthew 6, 14, Ephesians 4, 32. Uh, what do they say? Matthew says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And Ephesians says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. How about Hebrews eight twelve? For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Philippians 3.13 Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. And Matthew 10.16 I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. So, the Bible has a pretty consistent message about forgiveness. Mm -hmm. We need to be forgiving people. And if there's no other reason to be forgiving, it's because we've been forgiven. As unconditionally. We owe God, our Father and Creator, a debt we cannot repay. Mm -hmm. And yet, He has offered us, without any cost to us at all, forgiveness of that debt. Only that we accept the one... And, and this is where people fall short, but that's a message for a different day. Um, the problem that most people have is, is they're more than willing to take the, de the debt cancellation program, but they don't read the terms very carefully because mm -hmm. the terms are pretty specific. You let him forgive your sins, and then you let him rule your life. Uh, to get your sins canceled before God the Creator, you have to accept his son as the lord of your life or the leader of your life and many 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 people are walking around waving their canceled check well i guess that would be waving their canceled debt you know waving waving their 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 uh mortgage mm -hmm. you know i can burn the mortgage because it's paid off you know they're waving that around saying look 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 i am i'm forgiven for sin and yet they don't behave as though they've accepted the other part of the agreement, which is to let him be the leader of your life. Mm -hmm. So this female ghost carries out her agenda of manipulating her husband with all the appearances of selfless love. And I, I my gosh, I, I cannot emphasize again how much I've seen this in life. Mm -hmm. There are so many people, and so many of them, who really don't see themselves as clearly as others can see them. And perhaps that's true of me, and someone wise and loving can tell me what I don't see about myself. And I probably, like most of those people, will say, no, I don't see it, so you must be wrong. But just because you can't see something doesn't mean it isn't real. Mm-hmm. And so this woman does not see. No. So what does uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8 say? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Okay, so using the 1 Corinthians 13 formula, mm -hmm. let's analyze our friend Ahiasinth. <laughs> Love is patient. Is she patient? No. Not even a little bit. <laughs> Love is kind. No, there's this really terrible... She talks about... And the way she says it makes me so mad because... Like, every everything's so deeply ingrained in her psyche that she has no idea how bad some of the things she did are. Mm -hmm. She doesn't think any of it's bad, but... Like, he, he um, gets really upset with her at one point. She says he gets really upset because... She said she would, like... Well, she said he just wouldn't work enough hours and that she worked herself to the bone and all this stuff. Arranging flowers. Yes. To make yes. their house look nice. And at one point, she, he says, I wish, wish you wouldn't put them on my desk. And she's, like, one of them spills all over some papers. And she's like, oh, well, it wasn't anything. He had this fancy to write a novel or something one day. Mm. And the papers get ruined. And she's like, I fixed that problem. He did not write a novel. That is, like, yeah. malicious. <laughs> well, and it proves that, that a completely self-absorbed person cannot see the people around them mm -hmm. as people. Mm -hmm. They don't see them as people. They yeah. see them as uh, pieces of their, their plan, you know, um, I, I used to joke about this a lot. Thank goodness I don't do as many weddings as I used to. But back 20, well, gosh, it has been almost 20 years ago now. About 20 years ago, I was in a church where we were running a free, a, 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 I would say free, but we were running a wedding chapel. We were taking anybody and everybody. Mm -hmm. I wasn't in charge. And the senior pastor, um, you know, felt that it was the right thing to do and, and, uh, you know, truth is, I made hundred bucks about every wedding, you know, give or take, and so it wasn't a bad way for me to make some extra money to take my family on a vacation when I was working, you know, for a lot less money than than I could have used. And all that being said, I just remember going through wedding after wedding after wedding after wedding for for like three or four years. It was just nonstop, always doing weddings, and and. Uh, uh, one of the things that became really clear to me is, is how many times there's a person in the wedding party. Often it's the bride or the bride's mother. Not always, but typically it's the bride's mother or some other woman who has this whole vision for a plan for the wedding. And my building and my person are just pieces of that puzzle that, that they're just, mm -hmm. they're not viewing me. They're viewing me as a potential obstacle because they know that they have to abide by certain expectations I have. So they play yeah. very carefully with me. And, but, but when it's all said and done, they want that church because it's the one that suits their vision for their wedding. And they want the pastor to do exactly what they expect. So it, it's just like I'm I'm no different than a floret on the wedding cake. I'm just a piece of the picture that they're trying to present, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And uh, this is this is not to say that these people are like this woman, but it comes back to this 
you know, at some point you realize that you've experienced people who aren't looking at you as a human being. They're looking at you as a means to an end. Mm -hmm. And if you aren't the means to the end, then they're not looking at you at all. Mm -hmm. You're irrelevant. Uh, love does not envy or boast. <laughs> she's obsessed with being elite. Yeah. So she's always entertaining and it's so exhausting, but she's always doing it. She is Hyacinth Bucket. Mm -hmm. Hyacinth's name is Bucket. But she thinks that's, you know, awful. Low class. So she says, it's bouquet. Uh, love is not self-seeking. Well... I don't I don't know that you know we can keep saying these but you know she ticks all the boxes. Yeah. <laughs> it's and not easily like, angered. She like doesn't like him going out with his friends so she tells him to invite all his friends. Like she she makes him bring all his friends to their house and then she's horrible to them to the point where within a year none of his friends are his friends anymore. It's all yeah, like she has an agenda. <laughs> Doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Doesn't well, delight in evil. It's like the whole chapter is about her listing all of his so-called wrongs. So I'm going to pose a question that's not in our study guide, which, by the way, is a wonderful piece of uh, material from the Brown Chair book people. Mm -hmm. And it's written by Alan Vermelier, and we are, are beholden to them for this material. We recommend you buy it that you use it in your personal study or your 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 uh, Sunday school class or whatever, if they ever get to meet again, um, because we're not presenting it to you in the way that you would use it in a face-to-face -face small group or in your house. And uh, all that being said, I'm throwing in a question of my own here. Mm -hmm. So what do you do theologically, doctrinally, about someone who is this way, but somewhere along their life's journey, there was something about their life that caused this. You know, I there's a part of me that's very conservative about these things. And, you know, wrong is wrong and right is right and God is good and Satan is evil. And there's a part of me that says, you know, sometimes people are victims and the way they're victimized leads them into being pain causers too you know so you say Adverse well childhood experience right <clears throat> and and so there's probably plenty of criminals locked up in prisons who are inherently good yep. but they've never known how to be good they don't know what good is and and so I asked myself, well, you know, when <laughs> at some point, when do we try to imagine, you know, like, like you say, well, would God forgive this woman? But here's the thing. And this is this is the only answer I can come up with. And I'm not sure about this answer. So friends, hear me clearly on this one, because I don't mean to speak uh with authority on this subject, but as a Christian believer in my own right, I have thought about this a lot. And I finally came to the conclusion is something my father would say from time to time. And over the years, I've interpreted his saying differently, depending on the mood I was in. But he always said, you know, if a drunk driver crashes into you at an intersection, 
and you become, you know, permanently wounded by that experience, you can say with absolute certainty that it's not your fault you're crippled. However, it's your crippling industry in injury to deal with. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing you can do about that. You know, so on one hand, uh, I think he said it to me as a way of saying, you know, uh, don't hold me accountable for anything that you hold against me. I think sometimes he was saying that. And I think sometimes he was just saying, look, well, whoever you blame for your pain, even if they are absolutely guilty of causing you your pain, is still your pain and your problem to deal with. It's not fair when a tornado just comes down out of nowhere and blows your house away and leaves your neighbor's house standing. It's not fair that you got a diagnosis of cancer, but the guy down the road who smokes six packs of cigarettes a day didn't get... There's all kinds of things in life that aren't fair. Mm -hmm. And yet it doesn't absolve you from responsibility for Mm -hmm. dealing with with what has happened to you. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have the strength to fix it yourself, then either outside intervention is going to be forced upon you in the, in the case of like law enforcement, or you're going to have to seek outside help to, to move you on a different path. But what happens if you live this way all your life uncorrected and then you die? You know, I will speculate and this is not, this is, I will say this is clear in, in, in Lewis's book, all of these ghosts who, can't move forward in heaven all seem to have the same problem and that is is that that heaven and absolute truth are right in front of them and someone is gently graciously self-sacrificing even because the journey was hard for them mm-hmm. someone is graciously lovingly trying to show them the way to heaven mm-hmm. And they're rejecting it. And I have to assume that if heaven's right in front of you, you know, the one thing that doesn't happen in this book that I kind of wish would is that one of these people would be convinced and say, you know, I've been blind all this time. Now, maybe C.S. Lewis is that character. Yeah, I think that's... Maybe he's the one who's saying, you know, I see it now. Mm-hmm. You know, because I've had people have asked me, you know, at different times over the years. So what about people who die and go to heaven or who die rather, and and they've never been told they don't have any knowledge of the gospel. Mm -hmm. They've lived in complete ignorance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then there are people, I believe millions of them who have been preached an incorrect gospel and they really don't know what they don't know. Mm -hmm. And so my feeling has always been though, I cannot prove this to you in scripture. But I can prove through scripture that God's grace is unbelievable. It's off the charts. And I've come to the conclusion that perhaps when people stand before God for the final judgment, he's going to say, I want you to meet somebody. Mm -hmm. This is my son. He died so that you could be forgiven of sin that prevents you from being with me for all eternity. He loves you because I love you. And he did that because I want you here with me for all eternity. And I have to believe that there will be those who will say, oh, now I get it. 
and they'll be able to repent and accept Christ and be in eternal rest with God. I figure that that probably also means that there will be people who will look Jesus right in the eye and go say, I don't know you, don't care to know you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Just, just, you know, and that'll be that. Mm-hmm. So it does seem that sometimes you can be given over to your own sin to the extent that you cannot find your way out of yourself. And this woman seems to be like that. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, friends, when you listen to this and think about it? Talk to the person that you're listening with and and kick it around a little bit and, uh, you know, drop us a line or something if you want to talk about it. What do you, what do you suppose happens when a person like, like this is finally seeing the, the truth of the gospel for the first time? You know, I, I do think that there is something about our souls that we shape with our attitudes over time. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Well, and to go all the way back to your original question of, like, what do we do with people like that, like, that have some kind of trauma that has then created a person that's not easy to be around mm-hmm. I think it all goes back to extending grace where we can and it goes back to the scripture we just read mm-hmm. so all those things that she's not we are asked to be for her too you know yeah and or for anybody that we encounter and because everybody's got stuff in their past I think it just certain people well, I think, okay, you've, everybody has stuff, but some of us are lucky enough to be born into families that teach us how to cope, that teach, that help us develop resilience, whereas some people don't have mm-hmm. that luxury, and thus the things that affect them affect them really strongly because they don't know how to deal with it. That's a good segue to to the question I want to ask you. Seriously, this is uh, Matthew 22, verses 36 to 39. Okay. What does that say? It says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, this woman... At the heart of her problem, it really is a matter of how she feels about herself. Mm -hmm. She doesn't feel good about herself. Mm -hmm. Um, We've been using the Hyacinth Bouquet thing. You know, it's a comedy show, and it's not... It it didn't get into that trap that a lot of comedies do, where they start taking themselves seriously, and they think they have some social message and all this. That was something I saw with MASH that really disturbed me, you know. But the thing that... um, Hyacinth does that 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 show does present to us is a family and an origin that she's ashamed of and the shame is what's driving her to keep up appearances Mm -hmm. of being better than she thinks she is so this woman's the same way Mm -hmm. she feels so bad about herself she can't love herself let alone God or her husband 
And so the only way that her husband can make her feel good about herself is by exceeding uh, all of her expectations, you know. And, and, of course, he can't do that. He never can do that. Mm-hmm. And so we often hear that we should love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and we should love our neighbor as ourself. And we often talk about how we should treat our neighbor at least as well as we would want to be treated. But the reality is, is that we treat, some people treat their neighbors really poorly because that's how they feel about themselves. Um, So loving yourself, as difficult as that is to hear for some people because it sounds wrong, is to find worth in you that Jesus thought was worthy of dying to save. Mm You know, and and that's the gist of it. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. How does the absence of Hilda's defense of Robert turn out to be his best defense? What does the female ghost eventually reveal about her motives? Well, I mean, her motives... She... She only wants to see him in heaven again if she can control him again. Right. Like, she doesn't actually want anything to do with him unless she gets to be in charge again. And I think... That's the other half of his interest. I just... I think that... Like, Hilda not... Saying anything... It's kind of like when you're in an argument with someone that you know, like, they're not going to give up. So you just shut up mm-hmm. and you just don't say anything and they just keep talking themselves down into a hole. Yep. And I kind of feel like that's what Hilda does because the more she doesn't have a come, like a response to what this lady is saying, the more you see like, she does not care about him n- at all. It's about her yeah. and it's about her having control. So... Yeah, I mean, I've learned, and, and this hasn't come quickly overnight or anything like that, but I've learned over the years that some people are irrational, delusional. It's, it's not fun or fair. It doesn't seem fair to label them. But if you're looking for a quick and easy way to say why, trying to get inside their head and help them out, is just going to be fruitless Mm -hmm. and frustrating. Um, I don't know if it's the Christian thing to do, but I have come to the conclusion that in some settings, in church, for example, there are people who are just cantankerous and difficult, and it's easier and, frankly, less painful than... Uh, it's like ripping the Band-Aid off fast or slow. Mm-hmm. And, and and I'm a fast Band-Aid person, so I feel like that, that there are times when I listen to someone and I begin to realize that there is no way anything constructive is going to come out of this conversation. So I let them run it as long as they feel is necessary or until I read the room and see that look at at the faces of the other people in the room they're looking for me to take charge of this situation Mm -hmm. in which case I will Uh, but one way or another I'm going to let this person know that their opinion has been noted and disregarded (laughs) you know that it has been it has been heard 
and it's been added to the record, but it is considered of no particular value. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's Christian. You guys can tell me when you're listening. You you know you can tell me what you think, um, because I do think that uh, there are some scriptural examples of of you know Jesus didn't answer certain people, especially during his passion. Mm-hmm. There were some people that he just didn't listen. You know, he listened, but he didn't respond. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he gave thoughtful and, and, and profound responses to some people and others. He just waited till they were done because it wasn't going to change anything. Mm-hmm. So, well, this has been interesting. An exploration of that particular type of personality is troubling for me because I have run into a bunch of those over the years. And, uh, but then again, those are the kind of people that shape us because they teach us exactly what I just shared, which is you learn how to manage that because you can spend too much of your life trying to avoid people that are like that. And, you know, you got to have a plan that is more beneficial for you. But, in the end, uh, you know, tell us what you think when you when you hear this. Just you know, feel free to comment in in some form or another. We are reachable through Facebook. You can go to Shiloh's Facebook page. You can go to the Knowing God with Heart and Mind Facebook group, which has grown tremendously since coronavirus. Uh-huh. Um, there's over a hundred people in it now, and uh, you know, for us, that's pretty good. <laughs> And it's a place where you can comment. You can also see the live presentations and uh, and recorded things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, be sure to come check us out. You can go to shilohjasper.org, all one word, shilohjasper.org. And you can also get the app in the App Store. Just look for Shiloh Jasper in the App Store and you'll find ours. And uh, we'd love to communicate with you. We'd love to hear from you. But uh, for now, we hope this book has been a blessing to you and that our discussion has fueled your thought. And we'll just wish you the very best. Stay healthy during mm-hmm. this, this thing. And uh, please take it seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have more to lose by not taking it seriously than you do by yep. wearing a mask, washing your hands, and so forth. You're not proving anything. You know, I guess we could say that these personalities we're meeting in this book are out there responding to COVID-19. Some are saying, you know, if people who seem to know what they're talking about are telling us to be careful, I guess we ought to. Mm -hmm. And some are saying, no, 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 I'm too good for that. I'm better than that. Only sissies wear masks and only, only scaredy cats wear the gloves and and, uh, you know, I've been eating dirt all my life. I don't see why I have to stop now and, you know, whatever. Well, the best thing I heard about Phase 2, I think I read it to you, the whole Phase 2 plan coming out for reopening was a fellow educator friend basically said, guys, this doesn't mean we beat coronavirus. It means there's now a bed available for you in the ICU. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Um, they're increasing our, yeah, I mean, they, you know, yeah, that's, the, that's brilliant. So yeah, keep, keep taking it seriously. Cause they will run out of beds again Yeah, and you don't want to be in one. The death toll is still rising, but also be kind and give grace any way you can. 
that's definitely something that's been hard for me because I, I, when I'm out and about and I see people that don't seem to be following the rules, it's hard not to jump to a quick judgment. It's true. So. And we just don't know. We just don't know. Well, thanks for listening, beloved. We really appreciate you. We are honored that you would value this and, uh, we will be back again soon with another episode and another chapter from The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. Until then, God bless you and goodbye. Bye.